Welcome to the NBA Recap Show on the Mojo Sports Network. I'm your host, Alexander J from Beerball Bites. This is the week three recap of everything in the NBA. On today's show, we take a look at all the news stories, the stats, the trends, and the performances that interested us in the last week in the association. Plus, we're even going to take a look at a couple of under-the-radar teams in early November. You can't really be too under-the-radar in early November. Today's guest joining me from Shepparton, it's Jack Brophy. How are you, Jack? Good, good to be back and uh, sort of a new platform for us here. So it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. I'm excited. We've upgraded from the old Zoom trick. Yuri Bilsic is our reporter from Perth. How are you, mate? Great, Alex. And another fantastic week at the NBA, the in-season tournament. The courts yesterday still garnered some attention here and there. But yeah, some teams are really off to very good starts at the moment. And one of those teams in the Western Conference we'll touch on sooner than later. But it's all looking good on both sides of the ledger. And joining us, usually he's Mr. Tom Dev. Today he's Mr. International, joining us from Boston, Massachusetts. Tom, what's going on? Oh, not much. Just uh, fresh back from the TD Garden where my Celtics absolutely obliterated your Raptors. So it's been a good yeah, night. Yeah, I was hoping to avoid that. Uh, what time is it where you are at the moment? Uh, it's only 11.05. Early tip-off oh, tonight, so, so I can't complain. No, it's not too That's bad. Not- not too bad at all. Look, um, just in case you do want to duck off halfway through the show, we'll get your Celtic stuff out of the way. Uh, tell us what's interested you in the NBA this week. Start with the Celtic stuff. What have you been doing? What games have you seen? Tell us about high-fiving Jalen Brown. Yeah, so we'll start off uh, We'll start off with the, the disappointing part of the week, which is the, the first two games where they lost to the Wolves and the Sixers. You know, Wolves in overtime, Sixers by three points. Should have probably been more. They miraculously came back in the end. Um, and look, in both those games, the same problems as last season came up. You know, the offense stalled in the fourth and then the clutch and turnovers in crucial moments. I mean, just when it looked like we were getting back in that Sixers game, Jalen Brown decides to dribble up the ball and he just loses it about four times and eventually the Sixers grab it, go the other way, score it easy too. Um, and look, I, since I've got here, I've, I've watched us have easy wins against the Nets and the Raptors tonight. Um, and look, the wide range of weapons and the even spread of the scoring load is on show. Uh, Holiday nearly had a triple-double. Tatum hasn't even scored 30 yet since I've been here. Brown, uh, since I have high-fived him, as you mentioned, is averaging 28.5 points. I'll try and take a little bit of credit for that. Um, and look, Pozingas isn't even breaking a sweat half these games. I mean, he hasn't even seen the fourth quarter in these last two games and hasn't needed to. Um, but look, uh, on the surface level, it looks great. But if you actually really break it down, Tatum is still carrying a lot of the load. I mean, before this is before tonight's game, so I haven't got the updated stats yet. But with Tatum on the floor, Celtics are a plus 124. And without him, they're minus 26, which is it, it's quite bad. Like minus 26 for any player is bad. But for that big of a discrepancy, is massive. And look, Missoula looks to have worked out the rotations. He keeps one of Holiday, White, or Tatum on the floor at all times. He has the ball handler and... Look, through nine games, we're seven and two, third in offense and defense, first in net rating and point differential. But here's, here's my question to you guys. Do, do the Celtics need a statement win? I mean, we've had wins against the Knicks, Heat, Nets twice, Pacers, Raptors, Wizards. But our losses, Timbles and Sixers, which are really out of those nine games, they're the only real contenders, you'd have to say. Maybe the Knicks and Heat fringe at the moment, but not really. And so our next three, Knicks at home, Sixers in Philly, and then Raptors in Toronto. I mean, if they go 3-0 and those, you've got to tip the hat, but. Until then, I'm not really saying that we're unbeatable. Yeah, I'd be hanging out for that Sixers victory. Yuri or Jack, do you feel the same way? 
Yeah, I think so as well after what happened against Philadelphia. But Boston have always gone off to great starts in the last five seasons, though. 7-2 once more. Or seven, yeah, 7-2 seven and two, and sitting on top of the Eastern Conference alongside the Philadelphia 76ers. You could ask for a better start than that as well. And we talked about a couple of shows ago, right, about their win prediction of last season winning 57 games. They'll get to 53, 54 once more. And it's the offensive firepower that they already have, right, where you can put up 155 points against Indiana. You can jack up 40 or 41 three-point attempts per game, which basically ranks top three alongside the Sacramento Kings and Dallas Mavericks. And they're hitting those at, what, a 38 39% clip, right? It just... It's the way that they structure their offense, though, and Tom very well knows this too, with KP. And they have that great luxury now of playing Porzingis down the low block. And we saw that countless times today against the Raptors. We've seen it countless times in other Celtics games. And I think that's where the real differential within their offense now that they can supply to when the ball isn't going down from three-point land is that they can dump it down to Porzingis and let him to go to let him go to work, and it's really ticking along nicely for the Seas at the moment. And what they did on the defensive end from basically the start of the second half and in the last quarter as well, just basically putting the clamps on the Raptors was just – it was pretty stunning to watch, right? But it's no surprise considering the Celtics have been a top-five defensive team for the last handful of seasons. Probably, you, from a whole, probably from a holistic point of view, I think – would you say they're 7-2 and two at the moment? So they've got this winning form to start the season and they've got these new players that have all come in, including obviously Holiday and Porzingis, who are going to be on the floor in the fourth quarter when the games get tight. So I think for them in the games that they've probably lost, the ones that you've seen, Tom, and it's been that close at the end, they've still got to gel together the fact that they're a new team. And I think that maybe in 20 games' time, if they're not sort of winning those sort of games, you can be a bit questionable. But I think they just need time to sort of gel and have those sort of final two-minute wins and get used to each other's sort of game around there, and then I think they'll be okay. Jalen Brown had a, a slow start to the season too, Tom. You had that statement, 28, what do you have, 28 points most way through the Nets game, like at the end of the third. I don't know what he finished on, but um, that was his best game of the season, and he'd been pretty slow earlier as well. So, you know, I think we've all got really great points. Like, let's be worried if this is no statement wins in 15 or 20 games. Um What's been the best point of the experience that you've been through so far, Tom? Is it high-firing Jalen Brown courtside? Let's just throw that in, make sure everyone knows. It, it, it's, it's definitely up there. You know, Luckily, through, through a connection that my mum just happened to make with a friend's nephew, I was able to get uh, courtside access pre-game to the Nets game. And you know, I was standing there, and next minute, Jason Tatum is a metre away from me, and there's Jalen Brown, White, Holiday, Pozingas, and everyone, and they're all coming by, and they're walking right past me, which is just incredible. Um, and then I got to sit while they were warming up right on the baseline and Tatum and his son are directly in front of me. And it's, it's really surreal because it's all the stuff that you see in TV and here it is right in front of your eyes and it is nuts. And then, you know, having Jalen Brown walk past and high five me, notably with the right hand, as I joked in the group chat, doesn't like to use the left even in his daily interactions. But no, it, it's surreal. And, and even just being in the games in general, I mean, unfortunately, courtside tickets aren't, aren't in my uh, budget, so I wasn't sitting there. But even at the top, it's crazy. And you, you get seats anywhere. Tonight, I was at the very back row, top top level, and you see everything perfectly. It's, it's just as good, if not better, than TV. So, you know, anyone listening who's thinking about going to the NBA and seeing that all the, you know, cheap-ish tickets, and I say that a little bit uh, with an eye roll because they're still not cheap uh, all the way at the back, I, I can tell you, TD Garden, still worth it wherever you sit. 
All right, Jack, what has been of interest to you in the NBA this week? What's been what's caught your eye? Well, for me, Alex, um, and I spoke about this with you, I believe, yesterday, um, I sort of wanted to make a, like a little bit of a statement around where teams are at and we're around you know, the 10-game mark throughout the season. So I think that there is um, a stage now, and I'm going to call it stage one, of teams that cannot win the title. And so... <laughs> For the start of the season, obviously there's teams that you go, well, they can't win it anyway. But you sort of need to see them for the first 10 games to really go, yeah, okay, no, they're, they're not going to be good enough. So um, I'll go through just quickly for who I don't think can win the title uh, so far. Um, and if you've got any you think you could add to that or if there's ones that I'm being a bit harsh on, let me know. But, yeah, I'll start with the East. And we've got, obviously, my Pistons. <laughs> Wizards, Bulls, Hornets, and Raptors. And, yeah, the Hornets and Raptors are in 10th and 11th. But now that Cleveland's probably going to win this game uh, at the time of recording, I think Cleveland should be okay from their spot. Um, In the West, I've got uh, basically in order from the bottom, you've got Grizzlies, Jazz, Spurs, and Trailblazers. And I thought about it for a while. Is it too early to rule out the Grizzlies? But they're 1-8. and They still don't get Jar back for a while. And, obviously, Stephen Adams is out for the year. And what are the injuries? I don't want to be the homer. I'm just saying the Raptors have the assets to make a deal mid-year. And uh, spoiler alert, Scotty Barnes will be my performance of the week. They've got an interesting core. I wouldn't rule them out for another 20 games. I don't think they're very good. I think they're interesting. They've got the you points. Do you think mid-level and potentially playoffs go okay? It depends. Um, I... I think it depends what the Bulls do. If the Bulls are awful and clearly blow it up, there's a possibility to bring DeRozan back on an expiring deal. I don't think the Raptors do that, but that gives you mid-range shooting. Um, Zach Levine's on a hell of a large contract as well and could be got. There's a couple other pieces that, like, the Raptors need shooting. That's very clear, and that's the one thing that they're lacking. So those two play for the same team, have a chance of blowing it up. I'm going to look like a genius if this comes off in four months, so I'll mark this clip down just in case. But... Uh, Yuri, Tom, what do you think about the rest of those teams? Because I think that's a pretty accurate list. Yeah, it is pretty accurate, Alex. And the Grizzlies, of course, with no Brandon Clark too, still rehabbing from his Achilles injury, which he sustained back on, I think it was March 3rd last season. That's also another detrimental blow to the Grizzlies' front court because I think Kenneth Lofton Jr. played some minutes as well in their most recent game two against Utah Jazz, which they lost to the Jazz for like the second time in a week. And it's not really helping matters on the defensive end that they just keep getting blown by that easily. And mm. it's not normally like that under Taylor Jenkins where they're so really stringent in a way with their defensive principles and to be leaking threes everywhere and to be giving up points in the paint and the rebounding too, which has taken somewhat of a dip as well, considering they'll – basically a top three rebounding team for the last couple of seasons. That's a real glaring concern moving ahead. But you only have to look as one example to LA Lakers last season. We're now 2-10, and 10, right? So not everything is lost. So if you take away the whole playing tournaments and all that, that that the league has introduced for the last three seasons and you take that away, they can most likely say, well, they're in deep trouble. But with the playing tournament there from 7 down to 10, they're still well and truly in the window as well, but they've somehow got to at least figure out a few tinkerings on the defensive end to really sort of make a run at it because we've seen now the Kings start to at least gain a little bit of sort of, not ascendancy back, but their win over OKC it was a real gritty performance as well and DeMarta Sabonis was excellent too and also 
Malik Monk hit a couple of big shots as well in the fourth quarter, and they're still trying to buy themselves out in the defensive end too. So I think when you sort of tie it all in together as well, don't discount the Grizzlies out just yet, but as we all know in the Western Conference, is super competitive late in this one. You can't really afford to leave your run too late and be five, six, seven games out of that 10th spot with like 30, 35 games remaining. Tom, I'd be interested in your thoughts too. Um, I mean, I don't want to get rid of Wemby's chances at a finals appearance in year one, but that's where we're at. Yeah, well, firstly, it's good to see you uh, have faith in the Raptors because at halftime of the game today, the Raptors fans and Celtics fans are arguing in the bathroom whether Siakam could get one or two first-round picks. So <laughs> nice to see you still have faith. I did but, text um, you. I turned the game off at three-quarter time. I wasn't watching the end of that. Oh, it was a fun fourth quarter. You know, Peyton Pritchard got to take over the offense. That's, that's what everyone comes to Boston to watch. Um, but no, look, on the Spurs, I, I think it's still too early. I mean, one guy can only do so much. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Wemby sort of takes Luca's direction where he's really good, bad team, then the team kind of gets better. And he has to sort of work out how he needs to get everyone involved opposed to him just doing all the work. Um, but yeah, for now, I'd, I'd be shocked if the, the Spurs make it. And, you know, not to step on uh, someone else's toes for their next segment, but... Uh, Early days, but I'm, I'm not exactly uh, too afraid to put the Clippers in the in the non-title contender conversation either. The more I get to know you, Tom, the more I realize you're excellent at segues, and we can move straight to to what has interested Yuri in the NBA this week, and it is the Los Angeles Clippers. Oh, sure is, Alex. And I think the whole surprising factor and trying to gel superstar chemistry all together at once as well, and especially what happened with... James Harden and Russell Westbrook when they were teammates together for that one season with the Houston Rockets back in 2019-20 where they just couldn't quite coexist, which is unusually strange enough alone because all those years ago when they were together at OKC, it didn't really seem to be a problem. But I think the issue going forward now is is floor spacing, especially with those two there. And we've seen teams just sag off Westbrook and allow him to take those 18-, 20-foot jumpers. And if he makes them, well, they'll live by it. But they're just going to keep sort of dropping off him every single time he has the ball. And that's sort of the real, again, it's a conundrum for the Clippers moving ahead as well. At the end of games, what does their lineup do consist of? And most likely it's going to be Terrence Mann who does finish off games as well. Mann's a capable three-point shooter too. He provides so much energy as we saw a couple of years ago when they beat the Utah Jazz in six games in the 2021 Western Conference semifinals. He provides all that, Alex, too. So, wouldn't be surprised if he's that fifth and final starter when it comes down to the last four or five minutes of game time. So that's where the real sort of issue does stand down to. There's no way Russ is going to be put back into a bench role. We've already seen that, right, when he was with the Lakers from about, what, mid... I think it was about March of 2022 as well, where I think Frank Vocal basically just cut the puppet strings and said, well, we've got to basically get you off the well, from the starting lineup onto the bench. And basically, I think there was a time there where Russ did start, but and then came down to like the last five, six minutes of regulation where he wasn't even on the court at all. So that's where I think the real sort of worry is. And we saw last season, right, where Russ did come to the Clippers and was on that friendly deal, right? And basically, it was pretty much promised to him that he would be the starter from however long onwards he does decide to play for the Clippers. And now that Harden has come along, which really in hindsight now, I was hoping that deal wouldn't have sort of gone down that way as well because just wanting to see more of Russ be himself as well. And he's not really, in terms of his reckless abandonment, just going 
absolutely full helter skelter. They're just coughing the ball over five, six times a game. He sort of has sort of evenly temperamented down on that, I think, a bit, Alex. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, Tom and Jack, on what I'm about to say. I, I wish I could remember which front office executive it was, but um, a few years ago they were on the Low Post podcast saying that the silent killer in the NBA is overlap. And I think that's exactly what's going on with the Clippers right now. And I'll use the previous Clippers example of DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin, very similar athletic forward positions in the alley-oop era Clippers, and they could never get past that hump. The Raptors are having that problem now with Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, and OG Ananobi all kind of blending between that positional versatility. And I think the Clippers now have got the same problem with Russell Westbrook and James Harden. It sounds silly, like there's only room for one of them on that team, but there's too much overlap on that team. They don't have a great starting center. I mean, Avicii Zubak is a solid starting center. He can't really defend that well. Um, Jack and Tom, I'd be interested in your thoughts because this Clippers team has looked... I couldn't agree more on the overlap. It's something that um, I've been thinking about myself, and I know a lot of other people have uh, used this example as well, but you've got four blokes that want to play iso ball on the court at the same time as well. You've got, obviously, those four that we speak about. Zubach probably not so much, but in terms of that team there with Harden and Westbrook, you've got Westbrook's probably defensibility and being mobile and able to move around, even if it is playing by himself a little bit which is its own thing, whereas Harden doesn't really have that defensive capabilities in him, but he still wants to play that sort of similar like drive game. So then they're not dishing the ball out, but when they are, then they're overusing it. For me, it's like you need to sort of gel them into one, and I just think it's just the weirdest trade ever. And I think it they just want to get stars in for the Clippers. They've got this new stadium that's going to be up next year. It's just like we're going to have all these big names around it, but is that going to get you a winning team? We've seen it fail before. And funnily enough, like you said, we've seen it with James Harden as well, especially at the Nets. I want you guys to just sort of cast your mind back to, to the middle of 2019 in the off-season and, and just remember what it was like when we all got that notification, the Woj bomb of Kawhi Leonard has uh, signed with the LA Clippers as a free agent. And then about five minutes later, it's the LA Clippers are trading for Paul George. And all the instant reactions were, oh my God, what a duo. This is the best two-way duo in the league and they're going to dominate both ends of the court and that's what's going to separate these guys from the Lakers and from everyone else. But they don't defend anymore. Like They just don't. And they've brought in guys who don't defend either. And you know, when was the last time you saw James Harden do a de- decent defensive play? Like a bubble against OKC? Really? Um, I, it's just they're not the same team. And look, I'll touch on a, bit, a little bit more on this in my performance of the week later on in the show, but uh, this team just hasn't been built correctly, and it, it is like like Jack said, they want big names to the stadium because you know, you know what's not a good name for to put on a billboard, you know, 2028 future first round pick. Like it's not exciting, it's not going <laughs> to sell tickets. But James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George is. But you know, you know, they might sell tickets. I don't think they're going to be selling any championship parade tickets with them. So good luck to them. But for the moment, I'm completely out on this Clippers team. All right, moving on to our quick news recap of what's happened in the NBA in the last week. And just before we started recording today, Sixers guard Kelly Oubre Jr. was hit by a vehicle, apparently, and is currently in hospital. Um, ESPN's reporting that he'll be out for some time, but the injuries are serious but not considered season-ending. So it makes you think maybe it's a, a leg fracture or, you know, something that might heal within 8 to 12 weeks. Um, Oubre's been very good for Philly. I, um, on my own show, Bibble Bites, kind of lambasted that acquisition. I thought he was no good, and I was like, they're really going to start Kelly Uber Jr. 
Um, he's been a key cog in that offense. Philly has the fourth best defensive rating in the league at 118. He averages 16 and five rebounds on 50% from the floor through eight games. Massive loss. Um, quick thoughts on Kelly Oubre Jr. And that loss, that, that hole is going to leave for Philly. Um, 30 seconds from each of you there. Yeah, oh. definitely, I think, too, Alex. And the three-point shooting, because the Sixers, I think, rank like second last or third last for three-point attempts. And he usually takes, what, five or six per game. And we've seen right throughout his career when he started with the Wizards, he was sort of more fringe playing the way and sort of had to work himself into a rotation and got that opportunity probably 2016-17. Then it wasn't even until like 2017-18 where we talked about last week where he started, I think it was the first nine or ten games in in favour of Markeith Morris. He was still, I think, sidelined due to an injury at that point and really sort of grasped his, his opportunity and we saw it as well with the Charlotte Hornets. I think last season he averaged about 20 points, which is a career high too. So his offense isn't a, an issue one bit too, which has been a real sort of nice complimentary blend to the Sixers because I think we're going into the season must have all been thinking, where's the offense going to come from without Joel Embiid, of course, and Tyrese Maxey, who average over 25 points per game. Embiid averages, what, 30.7 or something, and Maxey averages like 25, 26 points per game. That was always maybe a little area of concern, but they've seemed to address that issue. But now that he's out for whatever extended period of time, it does sort of leave a bit of a setback too. But it's been more sort of, I think, what they were looking forward to in terms of just extra energy because that's what the whole Philadelphia is represented on, right, Alex, is basically toughness. And we saw that during the Allen Iverson era, right, with under coach Larry Brown, where all the players that represented the 76ers were all hard and rugged and basically dived down for loose balls, the 50-50 balls, and really give it all. And I think that's what Nick Nurse has really brought this early going to the 76ers and the fans have, have reacted really positively to it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. The thing is with Ubre, I thought he was really going to have a breakout year and be massive. So it's disappointing to hear that news, but he off- he does offer something different. Um, and I thought it was going to be that breakout year for him. So hopefully he gets back out there. Yeah, you, you just have to really feel for him. I mean, he's never really found his place, especially since he was involved uh, in that trade with uh, for Chris Paul from the from the Suns. And now this freak injuries happened just as it looked like he was finally, you know, learning how to really make an impact in the NBA. And so, you know, just, just have to feel for him. And, and the Sixers as well. They were clicking and now they lose a valuable part after, after looking like they'd completely recovered from James Harden's off-season drama. Yeah, we'll stick with the injury theme. Uh, I'm going to list out, I think I've got five injuries in front of me and I'd like to go around and you can pick which is the most impactful or the worst. Um, Poland are going to be without Robert Williams third. He's going to miss the rest of the season as he undergoes a third neon, uh, knee operation. Excuse me. Poland will also miss Scoot Henderson for the next two or three weeks with a sprained ankle. Um, Tyler Hero and Cam Thomas also sprained ankles for Miami and but Brooklyn. And then CJ McCollum's going to miss probably some time for the Pelicans with a collapsed lung. Um, he had the same injury in December of 2021 while he was with Portland, and he missed about three or four weeks around Christmas time then. So, Jack, we'll start with you. Um, which is the most impactful or worst of those injuries? Um, I do think that probably the last one, CJ McCollum, I think that they were really starting to gel and hopefully grab that sort of health that I spoke about at the start of the year. It was the number one word for the Pelicans was the health. So um, seeing him coming out, I think it's just going to disrupt a few things. And, uh, yeah, I reckon – they're going to be in a bit of strife now that he's out. 
They've got all sorts of injury issues. Like Ingram's already missed a game. We've talked about Zion Williamson ad nauseum. Um, Jose Alvarado hasn't played a game this year yet. Trey Murphy the third's not going to be back till after Christmas. Um, I think they're four and five at the moment, so they're teetering on five hundred. Tom, what's the most impactful out of those injuries for you? I I I, I don't know if it's most impactful out of all those ones, but just one that's kind of really important is the Jamal Murray one. I mean, it, it, who knows how long he'll be out for. But I don't think I read that gonna... out. Sorry. Oh, did, oh sorry. <laughs> I totally sorry. missed I did... it. Yeah, no, that's sorry, my bad. My Jamal bad. Murray, go ahead. Yes. Sorry, my bad. I just, you know, just in autopilot mode over here. But um, no, yeah, look, he's going to miss the rest of the month with that hamstring injury. And, you know, he'll, he'll miss most of the in-season tournament, pretty much all of it. So, yeah, not that I don't know if anyone really cares or not. Um, but look, how the Nuggets going to do without their second star? I mean, the last time he missed a significant chunk, they were what a seven seed or something, a six seed, seven seed at the end of the season. Obviously, he's not out for the whole year, so I'm not exactly expecting the sky to fall for Denver. And that they are two and zero since the injury with wins against the Pelicans and the Warriors. It's not like they've just beaten bottom lottery teams. Um, and and really, I, I think it comes back as. Uh, I think Jokic has now got to count for more than one star. I think I think he's one point five of a star because it's just it's just the way he elevates his team. He, he pretty much counts as one and a half star players. I, I haven't seen anything like this. Like even Giannis in his prime now, even I mean, what he had fifty something points the other night and still couldn't get the win against the Pacers. Whereas Jokic is just coming out and he's dominating every facet of the game, and I'm impressed. So I don't think anything really that bad is going to happen, assuming this Murray injury doesn't linger. But then again. He is an injury-prone player, unfortunately, and I, I hate seeing him miss time. Silver linings, extra opportunity there for Aaron Gordon and MPJ to show what they've got as well. Yuri, what's the most impactful or worst out of those injuries? Yeah, definitely agree with Jack on this one with CJ McCollum and that collapsed lung once more, which is just – it sort of hits at the wrong time, right? The Pelicans have lost their last four games in a row after starting the season 4-1, and one, and we saw Jordan Hawkins really step up, though, watching the game against yeah, the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, I saw the Nuggets. box score and went, who the hell yeah. is this? Yeah, rookie 31 points. <laughs> yep, the 14th overall pick in this – oh, I think it was this year's or last year's this draft. This year's, he's I'm a rookie, right? yeah. Yeah, this year's draft, yeah. So that was a real encouraging sign as well for the Pelicans, too. Game some starters minutes out on out there on the floor, too. But that's the real sort of – sort of interesting part as well because CJ orchestrates so much of their offense, not just when he's running the point, but off ball too, when they want to sort of sort of go for more of that offensive scheme too, which we've seen at various stages this season too. But I think with the Pelicans as well, it's sort of a bit hit and miss at this stage with their offense and their defense gets really clouded upon. And we saw against the Denver Nuggets where they were just absolutely eaten up probably after half time when they had a 20-point lead and then all of a sudden it just kept getting whittled away, right? And we saw Jokic just absolutely go off as always and the points in the paint and the three-point shooting of Denver just completely tore them down to smithereens. They could never really recover from that point. So that's going to be the real issue, I think, for Pelicans moving ahead as well is how can they cover the three-point line as well? Because we saw it again against the Houston Rockets yesterday too when I think Fred Van Fleet hit that go-ahead three too and... They just, I think they had like, was it an eight-point lead at one stage as well, five minutes left, and they coughed it up once more. So there's a game which basically has gone down the drain for them and won that really in hindsight they should have won too. But, yes, it's still early days at this stage. All right. For our next segment, we are going to talk about the most underrated teams in the league. It's been about three and a half weeks. Um, lots of really good NBA basketball, but there's 28 markets, there's 30 teams. We can't all see everything. I'll start because I have a lot of stats for a team. I've watched three of their last four games out of uh, and thought they were going to be completely dog shit. 
The Houston Rockets are currently fifth in the West. Uh, or what the hell? They're on a five-game win streak, so they lost their first three games, then have won their last five. Two of those against the Kings, one against the Pels, one against the Lakers, so decent competition. They destroyed the Lakers. They play at the slowest pace in the league, but hold opponents to only like 106 points per game. So that's the eighth best defensive rating, and they allow the least amount of opposing assists in the league as well. Look, small sample size, eight games, but really interesting stuff from a lengthy team. Uh, Fred Van Vliet's uh, 16 points, eight rebounds average. He isn't shooting that great, mid-30s from both the floor and from three. But Jalen Green's shooting 41% from three for 20 points a game. Dylan Brooks has been okay. He shoots 55 from three for the season. I didn't look it up, but I have a feeling they're all corner threes. And Elpran Shengun, I talked myself out of voting him most improved for the year. He's averaging 19 points, eight and a half rebounds, six assists, shooting 61% from the floor as a 61-year-old. This dude is so good at basketball. If you don't watch the Houston Rockets, just Google Elperen Shengun highlights. I'll put a video up myself in a few days. He is uh, skillful, craftful. He does a lot of work right by the hoop. I don't think he can push his range out to three yet like Jokic can, and he's not a great defender. He's getting a little bit better than he was last year. The Houston Rockets, I'm not saying they're going to be a play-in team. They've been very fun to watch. I would like your thoughts. And then, Jack, if you've got an underrated team, feel free to sneak one in. Yeah, uh, look, I had the Rockets down for one of my performances, one of the plays from there, so I'll leave the Rockets for now. So I completely agree with that. But for me, it's probably the Indiana Pacers. They're 6-3 and three at the moment. They're third in the Eastern Conference. Um, for me, I didn't see the hype around the Pacers at all. I'm like, you've still got the same team from last year. Yeah, you might see a little bit of growth within that. I know they've added Bruce Brown, who's been a little bit a good cog for that team, but I was like, I don't think Halliburton's going to be able to continue that this year. I don't know what it was. I just didn't think he was that sort of player. But early days, but six and three starts of the year, and they've won their last three in a row. Miles um, Turner's been excellent probably the last four or five games as well. He's been interesting to watch. So for me, yeah, the paces are more exciting, and I give him more credit now than what I did earlier. Tom and Yuri? I think a big takeaway from the Rockets is, uh, and it pains really pains me to say this, but uh, Ime Adoka is a hell of a coach. Um, <laughs> you know, two of the biggest what ifs at the moment are what if he didn't get, you know, suspended and eventually fired from the Celtics, and and what if the Nets actually went through and hired him because people are quick to forget he was pretty much going to get that job after the Steve Nash, and who knows, maybe Durant and Kyrie are still there and they're a championship team or they've at least made it to the finals, but who knows? That's all folklore now. He's, what he's doing with his Rockets team is impressive. Shangun is, you know, I'm a huge fan of his. And, and I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast and uh, there's an article in the ringer coming out, a profile on him soon, which I'm very excited to read about. And very. even Fred Van Vliet, I mean, even in tonight's game, there are quite a few Raptors fans saying, God, we miss him. And yeah, they, they were wearing that jersey behind you as well, Alex. What about you, Yuri? What do you think of the Houston Rockets or the Indian Pacers? And then uh, if you've got an underrated team, bring one up as well. Yeah, Definitely both teams have gotten off to excellent stars as well. And I thought Indiana might have taken just that next leap, not sort of a major leap, but a leap to be a playing team as well from what they've been building the last three seasons too and probably all the way from, yeah, last season just to really start from scratch as well. And I think Rick Carla always does a great job with teams that he does sort of take over from. And we saw... A long time ago, right, Alex, with the Detroit Pistons back in 2001, they were an absolute basket case at this point. They needed a coach who really sort of had built a significant amount of experience as an assistant, and he'd done that with the Indiana Pacers under Larry Bird in the late 90s and helped 
turn that Detroit team around in 0102 to from I think it was a 32 win team to a 50 win team, the second second spot in Eastern Conference that year, and it would wouldn't be surprising that way. I'm not going to say that the Pacers go win 50 games. No, far from that. But if they win 44, 45 games, and the way the Eastern Conference is situated this early going, then they can be a playing team, right? With Miles Turner and. It has sort of been listed across the seasons, him being in trade rumours. Yes, and then he eventually signs that two-year $60 million extension and does decide to stay with the Pacers. And I think the Lakers were one of the rumoured teams that are looking to trade for him, only a rumour. But he fits what they're looking for in terms of the interior defence. And it's not the why they drafted him all those years ago, back in 2015, for that solid rim protector. And that's why he's been providing. And when he had Bruce Brown there too, whose offensive game has absolutely sparked in leaps and bounds. And now he has no longer has that uncertainty as, oh, what my role is going to be, right? Because he talked about it, I think, before he signed with the Denver Nuggets from Calvin Booth and him agreed to a deal that it was like, I think teams don't know how to use me properly. And that's exactly what the Nuggets figured out with him, and that's what the Pacers are doing exceptionally well with him too. And we've seen Tyrese Halliburton just, again, he's just an he's absolutely sublime also. Yeah. He is. He is. And his shooting action may not sort of garner a lot of, you know, smoothness about it like a Bradley Bill, but it's effective, right? When he shoots, what, 47 48% from the field and when he dished 12.4 assists per game and averaged, what, 24.2 points or something, they, the Indiana Pacers haven't had a point guard like that, who've averaged those numbers, right? They've had steady point guards over the years, like a George Hill, who was very, a very reliable defender, and Mark Jackson, of course, all those years ago. But Tyrese just takes it to another level. And that's where I think the Pacers have sort of really helped themselves along the way too, is that there's this whole accountability that meshes together with the players that they do have from not just an offensive standpoint, but a defensive standpoint too. And that's what's really helped them in really good stead this early going at six and three. And as for Houston Rockets too, when was the last time they had a defensive identity about them in two decades, right? Yeah, I was completely surprised by those defensive stats. I, I, as I said, I watched a few of those games and went, geez, these are slow games. There's a lot of lengthy arms and the pain and in passing lanes. And I looked up the stats in anticipation of today's show and I couldn't believe my eyes were that, were that far ahead of the league in some of those stuff. Um, I- incredible. Yuri, Touch on the Rockets one more time, and then if you've got an extra underrated team, um, let us know and we can discuss. Yeah, just one thing about the Rockets over the years, Alex, right? When have you ever seen them as a defensive identity side, right? Probably not under the McKev- Mc- um, Kevin McCall era as well. Probably not under the Rudy Tomjanovich era. Most likely under the Jeff Van Gundy era is the last time when a Rockets team has had this really defensive resolve about it. They tried for a little bit with Dwight Howard, but that was a mistake. Um, yeah. No, that's a good point. Yep. So on also about my underrated team as well, I've got the Minnesota Timberwolves. Just been watching for the last three, four games as well. And this whole accountability on defense, which has considerably changed from last season, right? And it was really strange, right? We talked about it when they lost to the Pistons in New Year's Eve and Chris Finch wasn't happy one bit at all. And there were five games under 500 at that point at 16 and 21 and they coughed up that 18-point lead and sort of they were really sort of trying to figure themselves out. But now this early going this season, they sit 6-2. and two. They're 5-0 and oh at home, which is their best start at the target centre since 2013-14 when they won five of their first six games. And 
everything's clicking together. The rebounding has been absolutely off the charts at this point. They're third at the moment in the league, I think about 47.6, which only trails the Boston Celtics and New York Knicks for total rebounds per game. So they've got everything meshing at this stage as well. You know who else I'd like to see Chris Finch play just a little bit more off the bench, Alex? Off the bench? Uh, I'm sure you'll let yeah, us know. Yeah, off the bench. No, I've got no idea. I think... Troy Brown Jr., just for extra defensive purposes. Not where I thought you were going at all. Um, Tom and Jack, have you watched any Wolves basketball? Because I have seen plenty of highlights of Anthony Edwards throwing down windmill dunks this last week, but I haven't watched a single game uh, for two weeks now. Yeah, I've watched a little bit of the Wolves, but I'm still not convinced that they can get this this team. It's like just the egos in the team. You can sort of see it from the way that it is with Cat, Gobert, Edwards. It's like clearly it should be Edwards' team going forward, but Cat thinks he's the best three-point shooter and the big man in the league. There's all this sort of chat about the way that sort of Cat operates. And Gobert, we've seen little flashes of what he can do with huge rebounds, huge stats, but defensively, I don't know, I think he can be actually more of a liability than what people think, even though he can get a lot of blocks. So for me, I just don't, I just don't think that the Timberwolves will be able to gel with that team together going forward. But that's just my hot take. Tom, I was waiting for you. I'll look up the oh. stats. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, no, I, 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 on the Timberwolves, it's, it's a late night it, in Boston. We'll forgive you. It's, it's a late night in Boston. It's a late night in Boston. But uh, on the Timberwolves, should, should the Timberwolves just pull the trigger and trade Cat now? Then, and, and, and would they be better just trading him for, for role players? This is sort of blasphemy. The they're six and two. You can't be they're trading. Six and two, but your... they're six and two. But you got oh, you can get better. You can always get better. I I think ultimately when it comes to the playoffs, Gobert and and Cat just aren't going to work together. And and uh, Edwards, it's his team. We saw that even against the Celtics, he took over. And uh, you know, I mean, uh, yes, he was great against Tatum. But I mean, the Timberwolves PR team have gone on a bit of a spin with a five minute documentary about it. I mean, let's let's settle to November game. But no, look, I I, I think uh, they they should sell high on Cat. It's not like he's been spectacular, and Nas Reed is actually probably been better. That's uh, where I wanted stat- to get to. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a uh, comparison where his stats are actually just as good, if not better. So I, I don't know. I, New York is always calling Cat's name. Apparently, I, I don't really see why. But you know, not not saying they should go get Randall for him. But who knows? They could piece together some nice assets with him. Yeah, Cat's not shooting great from three to start the season. Uh, 32% on six attempts a game. Nas Reed playing half the amount of minutes. 43% from three on about four attempts per game. I love Nas Reed. I don't know why I love him so dearly. I just do. Um, Yuri, wrap up on the Timberwolves and then we'll get to our performances of the week. You surely don't think Carl Anthony Towns would want to trade to New York considering Tom Thibodeau is still the coach, right? And <laughs> Tibbs coached him at Minnesota too and there was no That's defense one bit whatsoever. So... I don't think he'll be steering in that direction, right, with Tibbs barking up his rearview mirror accounting for more defense. I don't think we've heard that too many times with Tibbs over the last couple of seasons. He sort of seemed to have mellowed down. He's barking from the sidelines, unlike a few coaches in the NBL. All right, getting to performances of the week. Um, shock horror minus Scotty Barnes versus the Spurs. They were down 17 points in the fourth, and they clawed back to win an OT in that game about six days ago. Barnes finished with 30 points, 11 rebounds, six assists, three steals, and three blocks. Damn near a five-by-five again. And he scored on three possessions in a row and then, like, bullied Jeremy Sohan on the third under the point, like, under the... the um, Took an offensive rebound, got under the paint, backed him down, and just dunked on him. And that brought it down to a two-possession game in the fourth when it had been been blown out. Um, he's been incredible for them. I'm starting to see the Scotty Barnes light. I haven't, you know, I'm a Raptors guy. I haven't always been 
on that train. I'm starting to see it. Um, there's been a lot of talk around NBA podcasts and former players saying that, you know, they should let him be the Pippin to somebody's Jordan because he's, he's that good. And I'm not ready to, to go there. Um, Jack, performance of the week from you is? An ex-Rocket, uh, sorry, an ex-Raptors uh, player. Got confused there myself. But uh, on Scotty Barnes, I actually agree on that. He's going to be elite. Like I think he's going to be one of those great players in the future. So you should be happy if they can keep him, Alex. For me, uh, like I said, an uh, ex-Raptor, I'm going with Fred Van Vliet. Now, his stats weren't absolutely incredible in the 104 to 101 win against the Pelicans, but he had 20 points, eight assists, and three rebounds. But the big thing was he played 40 minutes in that game, um, and I just felt like he was on the decline sort of heading towards the end of last year. Um, to play 40 minutes in a game is great, and the Rockets, like we spoke about earlier, they're 5-3. and three. I just think that if he can have performances like that, Going forward, it's really going to fast track the Rockets um, going into the future. So, yeah, he's been impressive for me in the last couple of games. Tom, your performance of the week. This is the last thing we need from you too. So, if you want to go to bed, you can just say it and get dipped. <laughs> no, no, I'm still, I'm still, you know, I'm just getting better. Wide from a Celtics victory. Yeah. <laughs> I am wide from a Celtics victory. You know, um, and, and you know, I did resist picking a player from one of the games I've been to so far, but I, I had to go. I, I couldn't go past Lucas performance against the Clippers the other night. I mean, 44 points, six rebounds, six assists. But that, that, to me, that's not even what's impressive about the stat line. It was 17 from 21 from the field. I mean, he missed four shots the whole game. He only played 32 minutes and, and was a plus 32. Like, that's that's insanity. And and I, I just think maybe he's finally piecing together his MVP year. I, I think we were waiting for this last few years, and he always came into the season a little bit unfit and just not at his peak performance. And he obviously hadn't taken the preseason to its full extent. This year, though, he's coming fit and firing after the World Championships. And it's just, you know, the Mavs are looking the best and they've looked in probably the whole time he's been there. And he's got a great supporting cast. I mean, again, not to keep talking about the Celtics, but it is paining me to see Grant Williams slotting in perfectly to that team. Yeah, he's been really um, good. And, yeah, and, and, you know, circling back to what I was talking about the Clippers before, uh, does it... Do they, do they even just bother trying to stop him? Like, do they do they know who he is? Like, do they go into their team meetings and, and assess who he is? Because he's averaged thirty four point one points, eight point nine rebounds, and eight point six assists against them since twenty twenty, and that's including the playoff games. And that's that's twenty six games. Uh, it, it, you know, that's ridiculous. I mean, Kawhi Leonard's supposed to be the best at stopping guys. I mean, he basically won the Spurs a championship for stopping LeBron. I, uh, if they have another playoff series, that Clippers supposedly would probably have the more depth in their stars, but Luca would probably just average 40 against them at this rate. Yuri, your performance of the week. Yeah, got Anthony Edwards once more too, Alex, and another 30-point game, 38 this time against the Celtics, which Tom watched in the Timberwolves' overtime win, and it's not just the scoring as well, which he absolutely went red hot in that final period, but it's his facilitating right, and it was always an area which he could always improve upon as well, and we saw last season him taking that next step as well with his passing and finding his teammates, whether on corner threes or kickouts and all that. I think he averaged about 4.4 assists last season, and this season he's averaging about 5.3. And it's not just the passing alone, which has gotten a lot better. It's the spots he's picked out in the most crucial situations. There was one play, I think, they were down 95, 92 or something like that, and there was about five minutes left in regulation, and he's on the – left baseline and he decides instead of going into the trees 
of the Celtics defenders in the paint. He kicks it out where I think no Celtics defender would have expected him to. Just whips out to Jalen um, McDaniels out in the corner and he knocks down a three. And then the next possession, I think it was, I think in, I think overtime as well. And it was almost in, not identically the same play, but he was on the right, right hand side. And he decides to, instead of driving to rim, he kicks it out to McDaniels once more, and he also drains another corner, baseline corner three. And it's those players and trusting his teammates in those moments alone, which he has gotten so much better at too, Alex. And I think it's really taken the pressure off Michael Conley to having to facilitate all the time as well. And it's really just showing his whole evolution, right? Not just from being that absolutely all-round dynamic scorer, but a guy who's improved so much on the defensive end as well, willing to take on the opposition's best shooting guard, small forward, like the Timberwolves have done with, of course, McDaniels doing that every single game. But he, his whole just, again, passing and floor vision was just tremendous. Yeah, that overtime performance from Ant is the first time this season I've seen someone and gone, that that this guy is it. Like, we saw that in the playoffs last year with Jimmy Butler. We see it a couple of times every year. I thought I was being ridiculous in overtime. He had a couple of big threes, was making the right plays because he, he almost threw the game away in the fourth with some really long, ill-advised threes. Uh, I thought I was being ridiculous watching the game going, there's a little bit of MJ in what he's doing. I go online half an hour later on my lunch break and everybody is going, this dude is MJ. MJ must be his dad. I saw MJ for five minutes at the end of this game. If you haven't seen the highlights, just from overtime, he was good in the rest of the game, but he had a couple bad turnovers and mistakes at the end of the fourth. The overtime performance from... Anthony Edwards at his age gave me like the hairs on the back of my neck and my arms were standing up. It was that good. Um, a couple other performances. Feel free to jump in, guys. We didn't even talk about Joel Embiid scoring 29 points in a single quarter. Uh, he had 48, 11, and 6 on like 25 shots in three quarters against the Wizards, I think that one was against. Um, Giannis had 54 either yesterday or two days. The days are blending into each other at the moment in a tight loss against the Pacers. Benedict Matherin uh, for Indiana had the best game of his career, I think, in that game. He finished with 26 and 11. Um, but in the fourth quarter, he had two offensive rebounds, a steal, a block, and eight points when the game mattered, when it got tight. Um, that was the best game I've seen the second year guy play. Uh, and he's Canadian, so I have a soft spot for him out of Montreal. Uh, anything else you guys want to flag before we move on to? Um, I don't think we've got a team of the week from you, Jack, this week. So it's just straight into the 30 second recap. Anything else anyone want to mention? The only thing I want to mention is what is going on at the Milwaukee Bucks at the moment. Um, Brooke, Brooke Lopez has dropped off tremendously as well. Yeah. Um, just, just I think we all sort of know that the Dame and the Giannis thing, and you know everyone's probably already well across it. But well, yeah, what I don't know what to think of them at the moment and where they're where they're positioning. Yuri, is Malik Beasley supposed to be a good defender? Uh, no, that's the brutal, honest truth, Alex. And that's where the whole deficiencies, I think, sort of having, of course, trading away Drew Holiday for Damian Lillard. The defense was always going to take a backward step, but the defensive rating this year has been absolutely porous, to say the least, as well. And it hasn't been this bad for, well, last time I can remember, it was probably a decade. And when Jason Kidd took over in 2014, the Bucks considerably improved as a defensive outfit that season, finishing fifth. And... Yeah, it's really just, it's a glaring concern once more. It's sort of keep harping over this as well, but every single screen I get caught on and can't fight through it. And then just, 
even today against Orlando, they gave up 20 second chance points or something. It was just not yeah. funny at all. And the rebounding, which has been the Bucks' strong suit for the last five, six seasons, that's dropped down to, I think, second last now on the about, I think it's 40 rebounds or 41 rebounds per game. It's just not funny at all. And there was one play there during the third where, okay, Brooke Lopez has never been a strong rebounder, right? I think the most rebounds he's averaged was about 8.1 when he was with the New Jersey Nets all those years ago. And I think his all-star year, which the only all-star appearance he made in 2013 because Rajan Rondo, I think, tore his ACL, I think, I think it was against the Atlanta Hawks or something in like January 2013. And Brook averaged only 6.9 rebounds that season. I think he averaged like 19.4 points. But everyone knows with Brook Lopez and every Bucks fan knows that it's not just he'll grab the rebound with both hands. He'll just try and tap it out and... We saw that against Orlando where he tapped out and the ball went straight to a magic player and you just think to yourself, just yank the rebound down. Like We've just seen it too many times this early going through nine games and just it's really concerning in a way too. It's not as concerning as say, well, okay, the Bucks are 3-9 on the season like back in 2000, 2001. No, it's not that situation. But sitting... In this spot at the moment, I think seventh now in the Eastern Conference and back in the playoff playing picture isn't timely one bit whatsoever. And Chris Middleton's minutes as well. I think he played about 21 minutes on restricted minutes once more. And are they going to do something like what the, the Clippers did with Kawhi Leonard what last season, two seasons ago, when they gradually ramped up his minutes to, what, 31 to 32 to 37.4 by about January? We won't... We, Sorry, should I say we won't be seeing Middleton's minutes wrap you up to 35, 36 minutes anytime soon. So that's just a few areas to really sort of point across. And also field goal percentage too. Opposition field goal percentage was checking about a couple of days ago, Alex. It was like 50.3 or something. Yeah, which they're getting is, everything. It's laborious, yeah. man. And it's just some accountability has got to take place, right? And it was like the Brooklyn Nets in 2013-14. Remember where teams were just bashing them all up left, right, and center, and they fell to 10-21, and 21, and Joe Johnson hits that game-winning three against OKC, and their whole fortunes change around. I'm not saying the Bucks go fall to 10-21. and 21. That's just absurd one bit. But don't turn this around, and they may be stuck like they were all those years ago when they missed out in the playoffs and lost to Jack's Detroit Pistons on the final day. Tom, not to uh, not sorry not not to not, not to rub salt into the the rebounding wound, but I think Drew Holiday is actually leading the Celtics in rebounds so far this season. <laughs> That's exactly what I, I was going to go. Yeah, <laughs> great I, I must I must say, ah, uh, exactly, and I, I must say he is just a delight to watch in person. That guy, that guy for what he's thirty three, I think, or thirty two. He just got a motor. He just runs around. He chases people. And there are times where I, you know, these last two nights where I've been to the games where he's taken on sort of a little hovering double team sort of role. And I'm like, why would you leave your man open? And then the moment they pass the ball, he's, he's there somehow. It, people around me are saying, she drew holiday. Like, how did we, we get him for two very injury prone players? One of which is now out for the season, unfortunately, which you never want to see. And I, I love watching Rob Williams play. And I, I was watching that game live and seeing him go down was just awful. But, it really wasn't that much of a, a contact injury. And, you know, to think we got Drew Holiday for that, I'm, I'm, I'm over the moon. And I don't know, maybe the Bucks were better off just keeping Holiday instead of getting Lillard. Who knows? Uh, it, that's a sore subject, I think, for Yuri. I feel maybe it's too early. They got a rookie head coach. They're working through some things. But, yeah, if they're not, if they don't have Dame playing heavy minutes and giving him good shooting, then it's an interesting conversation to have. Um, Yuri, 10 seconds, and then we need to wrap up for today. Oh, 
And I think Coach Griffin as well, after I think it was the Raptors game had addressed the issue he made with Brooke Lopez in terms of a def- well, his coaching mistake as well. Brooke, instead of having up too high, they wanted to play more in a drop coverage. So he managed to at least figure out and readjust the situation, which of course suits to Brooke's strengths as well, being that rim protector. So he owned up in that aspect too, and hopefully that just continues to be the ongoing sort of trend moving forward as well. But those points per game, right? It's about 119 or something on average the Bucks are conceding. It's just it's a bit of a pancake slap at this stage. A pancake slap? I haven't ever heard that before. Um, all right, that's the end of today's episode. Uh, our, we have a little fantasy draft here at the Mojo Sports Network, a fantasy league rather. Last week, Ben demolished my team 8-1. to one. Jules demolished Jack's team 8-1. to one. We're just, we've kind of almost fell out of it for the year. Uh, this week, Jules and I in the matchup, it's tied. It's like one assist, one rebound, splitting everybody. But Ben, I think, uh, sorry, excuse me, Jack, I think you're getting destroyed again by Ben and you won't be able to come back in a couple of days. So... I'm not sure what's going on, mate. What's your excuse? I'm forgetting to reset my team. I've got, two, <laughs> I've got two teams on there, so the other one's got a bit more at stake, but I'll uh, I'll pay a bit more attention to it this week. All right, Tom, are you going to any games this week? Yeah, so I've got uh, Celtics-Knicks on Monday uh, in America time, so Tuesday, Australia time, then uh, Thursday, Australia time, uh, Celtics Sixers in Philly, which uh, yeah. if I'm not on the pod next week, you'll know you'll know why I haven't made it out of Philadelphia. Are you going to wear then, a Celtics uh, jersey to that game? I, I don't know if I'm brave enough. I mean, I don't know if you guys can <laughs> see, but I, I have bought my secondary phone case to replace this one just in case. I, I might bring a, a plain one for that one just in case so I can take some photos without getting it. Getting a few looks, but uh, and then you know Friday, the most anticipated game on my list. It's uh, Knicks Wizards in Washington, the, the Jordan Pool show. I, I just can't wait to, to watch it. But no, that was uh, cheap tickets, and I'm in Washington, so I figured you know that's when you know I've really got a basketball problem, and I'm willing to go to see that and pay money to see that. But yeah, that's this week, and then week after, can't wait to get back on the show because Celtics Bucks. You know, Yuri and I, I'll be sending photos in the group chat, that's for sure. And I, I, I literally just cannot wait for that one. Shout out Kyle Kuzma. He's been really good for Washington. Everyone else in that team sucks, including Jordan Poole. But Kyle Kuzma could find himself in a decent destination at the end of this year. He got to be averaging 25 on like 55% shooting. He's He's been great. If we're talking about Kyle Kuzma, it's time to wrap the show up. That's how bad we've gone off the rails. So thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for joining me. Um, this has been the NBA show on the Mojo Sports Network. If you're still here, consider leaving us a five-star review. I think we're up to 50-odd on Spotify, um, a bit less on Apple Podcasts. If you're into the NBL, Ben does some Twitter recaps every week, I think on Tuesdays. Yuri, we can find you at the Sportscape Chronicles. Jack, you run Sports Confidential. You're the CEO over there. Tom, you're just our guy overseas now. You're the international correspondent. I'm going to label that for a long time. Um, if you want Daily NBA, I run a five-minute show called Bebel Bites, available on Spotify, YouTube. Anything else anyone wants to say before we go? Uh, enjoy if, your time. Uh, yeah, Tom. If, if you guys want more pregame tips, I mean, I nailed my Jalen Brown one last night, so <laughs> hit me up. He said over 25. There you go. Thanks a lot, guys. Cheers, Alex. Thanks, Alex. <laughs>